Welcome to SCD Church's podcast. You can always join us for our live services Saturday evenings and Sunday mornings out at our West Auditorium. You can also tune into our services live online at seacoastchrist.org or on our YouTube and Facebook pages. Thanks so much for listening. My name is Matt, and I have, uh, I've been doing youth ministries here for uh, over a decade, dealing with junior high and high school students, which means although I'm 30, I feel like I'm 51. Oh, that's true. But uh, also, I realized that um, a group of you guys are new, and I just want to welcome you guys. And uh, I realized that someone you, you know and someone that you love, right, they, uh, they told you to come to Seacoast and that you were going to love their pastor and that your pastor was uh, the best and that he was an incredible dynamic speaker. And maybe he, they even told you that, um, that he was just incredibly good looking. And all I have to tell you is Doyle's going to be back in town next week. And uh, I'm sorry you guys invited your friends in the wrong week, but we're going to have some fun. So anyways, if any of you guys have ever heard me teach before, you'll know two things. Number one, I talk faster than Doyle reading Bible verses. And number two, um, is I always like to start off my talk with a question that kind of sets up the framework for where I want to go with you guys today. And so here's the question that I want you guys to turn and discuss for 30 seconds, okay? Here's the question. Describe your generation's childhood in three words. All right, so think about it. Like, how would I define not just my childhood, but like my whole generation's childhood really in three specific words? I'm going to give you guys 30 seconds. You can turn and discuss some folks around you. Ready, set, Go. All right, all right, you can bring it up, bring it on up. So, uh, I don't know, a month or two uh, ago, I, I asked uh, Doyle, hey, Doyle, what do you want me to teach on this weekend? And hoping and praying that he was going to give me a, a verse, a section, a scripture, a story, maybe a parable. What he gave me instead was rather just a sentence. And here's the sentence. Quote, do something, I don't know, um, on this next generation, comma, make it hopeful. So, I uh, went back into my office and just stood up my office wall for like 10 hours trying to think, how do I make, you know, how do I answer that, right? How do I make that come to fruition, Right. And I guess I asked myself two questions that really led us to here today. The first question was, in the totality of my youth ministry experience here at Seacoast, what have I as a youth pastor been attempting to do with our students, with your students? I'm going to answer that maybe in the middle of my sermon. And the second question is, what do I think that this generation may be uniquely missing? And honestly, I think if I just went around the room, we could probably collectively come up with a book and just a handful of minutes what this generation may be missing. And so... I'm just going to give you three things that I think this generation's missing that other generations had or was at least more discoverable in their generation. Number one, I think we could agree on this one, that they're missing a voice that's rooted in truth. I mean, what is truth? Truth is that which accurately corresponds to reality. What is reality? Reality is the way that God sees and says things that they are. I think we could probably agree that, that, yeah, this generation's probably missing a voice out in the ether that's rooted in truth. Number two, I think they're missing a voice that's rooted in real love. What is love? Love is an unconditional commitment to an imperfect person to bring that person to a right standing before God. But it's also to will the good of another, even at great cost to yourself. That will the good is not subjective, it's objective. There's a biblical righteousness to will the good of another, even at great cost to ourselves. Number three, I think they're missing a voice that they can actually trust in, you know? I mean, think of it this way, right? From the earliest times in their development, they're told not to trust news organizations, including the weatherman. Uh, They're told not to trust uh, the Republican or Democratic Party or maybe any corporate organized authority because truth is not found out in the ether. It's actually found inside. It's found in in you. 
They're even told not to trust their parents as the educational system is actively working to usurp parental governance in the household. More than that, they're told they can't even trust their bodies. This generation, think of it this way, has been sold and told that they can't even look to their own biology to give a clue to who they are. Wow. Therefore, I think it would make sense, right, that this generation feels like they lack the very essential bricks required to build a foundation and from that foundation a purpose and a meaning, right? Because your identity, need to, your, your who needs to precede your what and how. Your identity comes before purpose and meaning and direction. So the question this generation struggles with, maybe more than other generations, is who am I? And is there somewhere out there in the, in the world, in the ether, that can tell me who I really am and that I can trust? This last week, I asked well over 100 students to describe their generation in three words. And here is what they came up with. These are unfiltered. I had hundreds of them. Just grabbed a handful. Depressed, lazy, and broken. Indecisive, woke, Gen Z. Lost, unfaithful, and ignorant. Depressed, lost, and unsatisfied. Lost, broken, fake. Afraid, confused, and lazy. Lost, crazy, and awesome. Excited, fun, and grateful. Goofy, judgmental, depressed. Crazy, influenced, dumb, dumber, and dumbest. Annoying, immature, and atheist. Lost, needs to go outside, and needs God. Crazy, damaged emotionally, and damaged mentally. Online, safe, uncrazy. Lost, needs God, broken. You know, it may be more sad for me to tell you that the younger we got, the more pessimistic the answers that we got. So I did this on Tuesday night, 6th, 7th, and 8th grade, and Wednesday night with 9th through 12th graders. And the answers I got on Wednesday night were less pessimistic than the answers I got on Tuesday night. The younger we got towards 6th grade, the more pessimistic that their worldview was in the way in which they self-described their generation. I don't know if the global pandemic had to do something. I'm not a sociologist or a psychologist, so I don't know how it's affected them in a very vital era, area of their development. But that's how this generation is self-describing themselves. So what do I, what do I think this generation's missing? Well, I think it's apparent that they feel lost. I think it's apparent that they feel hopeless, like they directionless, like they just don't have a hope for their future. And for years now, right? For years now, our, our culture has been telling God to get out of our schools, get out of our government, and get out of our lives. Our society and educational system has actively worked to eradicate God's will and his word from the development of our young. And so what did we, not know we in this room, but we, the society, think was going to happen? If you take the author of truth, the author of love and the one who fills our hearts with hope out of the equation, you're going to be left with a generation. It's going to have no concept of truth. It's going to have no hope in their heart and have a, a heart that's void of love. See, when a society removes God, it removes its ability to be stable. It's anchoring to reality and its ability, ability I believe, to lead the young because now I think it's blinded. However, today I do report to you that there is good news. Because I think that in God's word, it teaches us and gives us the answers to the lostness that many of this generation and many of us experience today. And so if you have your Bibles, I want you to go with me. Open up to the book of John chapter 10. And if you don't have a Bible, no worries. It's going to be up on the Sky Bible in a moment. But as you, uh, as you turn in your Bibles to the book of John chapter 10 with me, I want your eyes to kind of draw upwards to our setting and our title for today. And you're going to see that it's a declaration. But it's more than a declaration. It's also an answer, I think, to the precarious societal situation that you and I, we have found ourselves in. What is the title? It's I am. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I want you to notice with me, though, if Jesus says he is the good shepherd, then adversely he's also saying that there are other shepherds out there. There are other blind. There are other imposter shepherds that are out there in the world. See, what I've come to understand is that this generation, I think, feels lost because I think society has lost its ability to lead people to the good shepherd, listen to the good shepherd, be led by the good shepherd. I mean, you may not know this, but the dictionary definition of a shepherd is someone or something that leads someone to a particular direction or way. And what that means is when you think about it, really anything, right, can operate like a shepherd, but it's in God's word that reminded out of all the shepherds that are out there in the ether, there's only one good 
shepherd one way forward, one shepherd they can see the way forward. I heard the story of a man who was one, one of the, among one of the passengers who was on a flight flying in different cities in the state of California. They landed in Sacramento and there was a flight delay. And the flight attendant gets on the intercom and says, ladies and gentlemen, um, we have a flight delay in, in Sacramento um, and uh, we're going to be stuck here for about an hour or so. Um, and when we land, you can get up and have the freedom to go back into the, uh, the terminal and uh, we'll reembark about after an hour's time or so. Everybody gets off and off the plane except for one man. This one man stays seated and he happened to be blind. And his seeing, seeing eye dog is seated right next to him. Evidently, the pilot of this flight, the captain, ended up knowing the passenger pretty well. And so the pilot gets up and goes over to him and says, Hey, Mark, I'm sure you heard over the intercom, but we're going to be stuck in this airport for about an hour. You are welcome to get on up and go around and, you know, hang out and after an hour's time come back. And he goes, Hey, I appreciate that, captain, but I'm just going to stay seated. But my dog, I'm sure, would really like to be walked, maybe go to the bathroom. Captain says, Yeah, no problem. I'll take him for a walk. So the pilot grabs his sunglasses, puts them on. There's a long um, chew toy, a wooden stick. He grabs and grabs the leash and heads down the ramp. Now, I want to pause real quick. So I want you to imagine this with me. Imagine what it would have been like to be a passenger in the terminal when your captain of the plane that you're just on comes walking down the terminal with dark glasses, wearing a, holding a wooden stick with a seeing eye dog. I realize that I know why there's a flight delay now, right? Like what happened? Like what was happening in this moment, right? You can imagine how these passengers probably would have reacted, right? They probably went to the counter and tried to immediately exchange flights. Why do you think they would react that way? Well, it's simple. In this case, they had no desire to entrust their lives as someone who could not see things as they are to lead them to where they should go. See, pilots and shepherds, you may not know this, they, offer, they operate in very similar ways. They take people from one place to another. And I realize now that it is for a decade in student ministries here that I've been trying to teach kids that the one pilot that they should entrust that can take them, let's say, to the promised land, the one shepherd that they should follow that can give them everlasting life is the good shepherd. I've been trying to teach that the primary authority that kids should listen to, that primary authority that, uh, that they should trust in is that of the good shepherd, that if they want to build a life on the firm foundations of the good shepherd, that'll give them a future that they couldn't even dream of. And that real life is found in only being shepherded by the good shepherd. But now I think if we'd all be honest with each other just for a moment, right, and if we were to look at God's word, not as binoculars to look at other people or scope, but a mirror, I think there's a little bit about us, right, that we're all anti-shepherdarian. I don't know if that's a real word, but I like it, right? We want to do life our own way, following our own desires. And the problem, guys, the problem with that is you, we, I, we are made to follow a shepherd. And the truth is, if Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd, that means there's bad imposter shepherds out there. And you will either follow the good shepherd or you will mold your life and follow an imposter shepherd. See, imposter shepherds, they, they promise life, but they steal it. Imposter shepherds, they make things look alluring, but in the end, they just leave you longing. Imposter shepherds, they pledge to give you a fullness, but they deplete you and I until we are empty. I mean, have you, ever, have you ever met somebody who's in the later years of their life who spent their lives chasing an, after an imposter shepherd? And someone whose maybe dreams have come true, but instead of letting them rest in the joy of their later years, they just live with a sense of restlessness. They were promised satisfaction, fall this way, invest your life here. But that just led them discontented at the end. Scripture tells us because it's only the good shepherd that gives life because only the good shepherd can lead to life. I guess let me submit to you this morning is that every shepherd in culture, every shepherd that's not submitting to the voice of the good shepherd are blind imposters, right? They can't see things as they are to lead you to where you should go and you should not entrust the direction of your life nor the direction of the life of your kids to these imposter shepherds. I want to remind us the dictionary definition of a shepherd is something or someone that leads someone and guides someone to a particular direction or way of life. And like I said earlier, that means anything. Anything can operate like a shepherd. could be the voice of culture. It could be the voice of success. And it could be just a pattern in life in which you follow or at least instruct your kids to follow. 
I think the truth is we are all following something and someone that we believe is going to take us to greener pastures and calm and still waters. Where we're all looking for, let's say, the one way, the one door to go through that's going to give us the one life that God created us to have. I guess the question is, what is that for you? I want you to go into God's Word with me in the John chapter 10. We're going to be kind of moving around in, in this section of Scripture and, um, as I see it. And so we're going to begin in verse uh, 7 and 9. It says this, So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. He will go in and find pastor. So before the analogy of I am the good shepherd, Jesus first gives us an analogy that gives us context to I am the good shepherd. And that is I am the door. In some translations, I am the gate. See, when Jesus talks about being the door or the gate, he's using it as an analogy that there are imposter shepherds that stand at different doors and different gates who will work to pull you into pins or folds rather that God doesn't want you to be a part of. Go with me here. I, I'm a pretty visualistic individual. And so imagine this with me, that the whole world is just a massive grain field or pastor. And every hundred or so feet, there's a new fold or new pen with a new shepherd that stands at that door and stands at that gate and says, come follow me. Invest your life here. I could give you the life that you've always wanted. And every day, these imposter shepherds, they scream at you saying, life is found over here. Come this way. Walk over here. Come into my fold and pen. But scripture reminds us that of all the ways of life, there's only one good way of life. There's only one good shepherd. There's only one door that leads you to life. So you see, it is the door analogy or the gate analogy that fits well with the shepherd analogy because the gate or the door it represents a very narrow way. See, when Jesus talks about the, 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 he, this narrowness, he's setting himself up against every other way of life, every other shepherd and every other way of being. And I realize that it is the exclusivity of the gospel, or rather the narrowness of Jesus' teaching here, that can for many of us be off-putting. There is one way, one truth, one life, one way to the Father. There's one door, one gate, and one shepherd. At culture, at least in our cultural moment, we don't really like the idea of narrowness, especially this next generation. We like to be talking about being open to all ideas and accepting of all ways of life, because who are you to tell someone else how to live, what to value, and what to believe, and make ultimate in their lives, Right? I think it is this disconnection from reality and the freedom of Jesus' teachings here that has caused many of us to create this mismatched religious framework where we self-identify as the shepherd of our story and not the sheep. And that's problematic. Because if you are the shepherd in the story and not the sheep, you don't need a shepherd. You can lead, protect, and guide for yourself to greener pastures in life you wanted. In other words, you can lead yourself by yourself. It is at the core, I think, of the American dream that's inadvertently taught us, or subconsciously taught us, rather, that... We believe that it's self-governance and some type of autonomy that's going to be the best way for us to live our lives, that you don't need to submit and surrender because you don't need a shepherd. And that Jesus guy, I mean, he can be many things. He just can't be the only thing. And surely he cannot be everything. I think this is problematic for a plethora of reasons. But number one, it's this. When our maker identifies us as something, we should probably listen. What does he say when I am the good shepherd? He's saying you are not the good shepherd. You're not the shepherd of your story. You're the sheep in the story. Let me tell you why that's good news, why I rest in that reality. Because if you're like me, you have gotten yourself in trouble leading yourself by yourself. I'm not the shepherd of my story. I'm the sheep in my story, and I need a shepherd. But it's also problematic because it also unroots us from the true narrowness of Jesus' teachings. See, we live in a world where we want a plethora of options, right? Where we can ultimately create a religious framework that makes us feel good, all the while asking really nothing of us. Again, I'm another visual person, so it's like a, imagine you're at a farmer market of religious ideologies. 
and you walk in and you're like, okay, let's go see what they offer, this offers, that offers, Oprah's over there, cool, that's great. Uh, all right, um, I'm going to walk in and I'm going to go, well, I like some of that new age teaching, like manifesting, that's cool, I can talk about that and like make, create the future I want. Um, over here, some celery juice, I got to drink some of that, and over there, some essential oils, right? And we create this, uh, there's nothing wrong with essential oils, it was a joke. Uh, we create this religious mismatch framework, right, that makes us feel good, all the while it's just really asking nothing of us, and we're not really surrendering our lives to the good shepherd by any means. And look, part of me gets it, right? It's difficult, I think, to stand for truth and uphold the one way of life because we've been told that it's been, it feels so much better to be open and tolerant of all ways of life and all ways of life lead to life. But if we could be honest just for a second, it may feel good to have tons of options. But there's a second part of that where it also creates just a little bit of nervousness. Like I get a little bit of anxiety when I got too many options for something. Let me give you a silly example. Have you guys ever been to the Cheesecake Factory before? You guys ever look through the encyclopedia of a menu that they give you, right? I get there, my knees get weak, my arms get heavy, right? I just like, there's just too many options here, right? I just get a little bit nervous. Look, I get that that is a silly example, but there is some truth to this. There are people right now scouring and searching the pages of YouTube, Instagram, and TikTok, looking for answers on how to save their souls, looking for answers on how to save their marriages that are falling apart, looking for answers on how to bring their kid back, how to find meaning, purpose in life because they feel empty. There are people that are scouring the web pages, looking how to deal with fear, anxiety, depression, and worry that so grips and plagues their heart. And so they come across some influencer's page or some imposter shepherd that promises if they do this, do that, add some turmeric over, it's going to be great, right? You know, I realize working with Gen Z, and it's an observation, I guess, of humankind that we're all looking for a shepherd because deep, deep, deep down, we know we're sheep. And the truth is the world is full of imposter shepherds who will say, come and follow me. Man, no wonder this generation's a little bit more nervous. No wonder this generation's a little bit more anxious and full of worry than previous generations because they have way too many options on how to do life. The internet screams at them to follow a bunch of imposter shepherds. So Jesus comes in and he says, look, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. There's no way to the Father but through me. Jesus gives the good news that he is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life. And that he can show us the way, he can bring us the truth, he can give us the life you were created to live if you just follow him. He gives us the good news that life, look, it doesn't have to be like a cheesecake factory menu where you're overwhelmed by options and choices. That there is one way, one truth, if you follow the one good shepherd, he's going to give you the one life you were created to live. And that he can keep you and I away from these imposter shepherds who promise life, but steal it away from us. Go with me into John 10, where we discover this. Verse 10 says this, For the thief, these imposter shepherds, they come only to kill and steal. I come that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand or an imposter shepherd, not a shepherd, who does not own sheep, sees the wolves coming and leaves the sheep and flees. The wolves snatch them and scatter them. He flees because he is an imposter shepherd, a hired hand, and cares nothing for them. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Man, if we had more time to talk, I would, I'd give us so much here. But there's some incredible things here. But just two things that I need you to know. Number one, if you are a parent, what I'm about to say is of utmost importance. The closer you are personally, the closer you are personally to the, sh- to the shepherd, the safer your kids are going to be from the wolves. I'm going to say this again because this is of utmost importance. The closer you are personally to the good shepherd, the safer your kids will be from the wolves. What are wolves? People, institutions, and ideologies that are actively working to lead you and your young away from the good shepherd and away from the good Lord. Look, if you're here today and you're like, I am a parent and I don't want my kid to stray away from the good shepherd, it is impertinent, it is of utmost importance that you yourself are walking with the shepherd in your own life. And then, look, mimic the shepherd's voice by reading the blessings of Scripture over them. Or just read the blessings of Scripture over your own life so you can remind yourself who I am. 
Number two, the, thing, the next thing I want to point out is the Bible is not many books, but rather it is one book interconnected with all chapters telling one cohesive story. I mean, think of this, right? The Bible is 66 subbooks, 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New. It was written over about 2,500 years in three different languages on three different continents with about 40 different authors. All of these authors never knew each other, but they tell one coinciding story of a God that saves and a good shepherd. And this is why the Bible is important that we read it in its totality, because there are concepts, themes, and motifs in the Old Testament that Jesus or an apostle or someone else brings in the New Testament to, for us to understand a little bit more of who God is and what God is like. And so when Jesus pops up 200 decades ago and he says, I am the good shepherd, it's something the original audience, they would have been listening for. They would have understood what a shepherd and sheep was like and the intimate nearness of the way that a shepherd loved his sheep. They also would have thought of Psalms, chapter 23, verses 1 through 4. It says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still or calm waters. He restores my soul. He leads me to paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, for I will fear no evil, for he is with me, and his rod and his staff comfort me. They would have understood that. You and I, we have no background of sheep and shepherds, and we know probably less of sheep. What we know about sheep is, I don't know, they, um, we know the noise they make, and we probably know they look, I don't know, comfy to lay our head on at night. But other than that, we don't really have a great concept of what sheep and shepherds are like. Let me give you two things about sheep that's important that you and I know. Number one, they are dumb. That's all I have for you. Number two, <laughs> sheep don't see well. In fact, they have good peripheral vision, which means they see everything around here, but they have terrible direct vision to see what's directly in front of them. If that is not a beautiful illustration, I don't know what could be. Because isn't it true that in your life, or at least in mine, it's oftentimes the thing that around us to get us into trouble because we aren't paying to the important thing that's right in front of us. Isn't this how most marriages come to an end? Focusing on things around us, jobs, hobbies, other relationships we probably shouldn't have pursued. Not the relationship before us, making the vows of the person that we made of utmost importance to us in front of us. Look, I'm a youth pastor. I've seen this as well. That This is the way in which kids grow up to resent mom and dad. Their parents focus on all the things around their kid. Their athletics, are they keeping up with the Joneses and Johnsons next door? Are they going to get into Harvard at 14? And not the relationship with their kid before them. And so Johnny, Johanna, or whatever, they believe that mom and dad, they just care more about my performance than my person. They care more about my achievement than what I am, who I am, and what I really like. So here's the truth. When Jesus calls us sheep, it's not a compliment. It's to communicate two things. Number one, you and I, we are dumb. Number two, you don't see that well either. And because we don't see well and because sheep don't see well, they need to listen to the shepherd's voice to guide them through the pasture that they live in. If you aren't offended yet, let's keep going. <laughs> you know, if sheep get separated from the shepherd, let's say this way, say, 100% of the time when a sheep gets separated from the shepherd, they always get themselves into trouble. Not 99.6, not 98 point, 100% of the time, Right? They're literally, they fall in holes they've just gotten out of. If you guys just want to go home and laugh, Google today, just sheep falling in the holes they've just gotten out of. You can watch for an hour and just giggle. My daughter loves it, right? There's hilarious stuff. Like, that's a special type of dumb. The shepherd comes over, picks them up, jumps right back in the same hole. I would, ugh. <laughs> Let me tell you how dumb they are. Um, they have been known to walk off cliffs. That's top tier dumb. That's up here, right? They've graduated. They're here, right? That's that, the top tier dumb, right? In fact, they've also been known to accidentally drown themselves. They tend to wander into running creeks and their wools ends up absorbing water and it gets heavy and they end up drowning. In other words, they become imprisoned by a decision they made and they're forced to a destination that they didn't want to go to. Wow, I've been in places like that before. And the truth is, if the shepherd doesn't run to the sheep that's in the creek it shouldn't have been in, 
it will die and drown in those waters. This is why in the book of Psalms 23, it says that the good shepherd leads you to calm and still. God has good things for you. And I wish we would just, the good shepherd always has good things for you. The truth is we like sheep tend to be swept away by waters that we should have avoided. And just so you know, this is the human story. This is my story. I often fall in the holes, walk off cliffs, and often get swept away by waters I had no business being in. We are sheep, which means we need other sheep to do life and we need a shepherd to lead us. The truth is when you are not surrounded by community, you too will tend to fall in holes, walk off cliffs, and end up in waters that pull you towards despair and further and further away from the good shepherd. It's important that we understand this. We are communal animals, built, made, and fashioned by our creator to be in community, led under and by the good shepherd. In fact, the whole idea of the church, God is brilliant, right? He knows what he's doing. The whole idea of the church is that when your life gets a little bit disoriented, some life's throwing some crazy things at you and you're stumbling around, you can look up and over to where God's flock is, the church, and the direction it's going and hop back in to get your life back on direction back on track. That's the story of many of us here, is it not? Where we made some decisions, got wandered off into a creek and whatever it may be, and, and, and we just look back and over. But here's something else about the good shepherd that you need to understand. Number one, he is good. And when you do get dis- disconnected from the flock, you fall into a lake or off a cliff, he will come for you if you cry out to him. In the book of Luke chapter 15, it's the parable of the lost sheep. It's the story of a sheep screaming, going, bah, and the good shepherd runs over to him and, and picks him back up, brings him all the way home. God has that for you as well, but so much of Scripture teaches us that. But I just want you to know that your life doesn't have to be as hard as it has been for many of you. Let me say it to you this way. The good shepherd is better than anything and everything that I am tempted to leave him for. And if I just knew that, if the sheep just knew that, do you know how much better their life would be? Let me ask this in the form of a question. Can you imagine what your life would have looked like or or the lives of your kids would have looked like if they just stopped wandering off? Like, Like, what if... We just made the good shepherd and the flock following him, i.e. God's church, a priority in our lives. Like what if you just made it a commitment in your life to stay near the other sheep? How would that have changed your life when you were your kid's age? Look, I realize that not every week is a home run here, right? Some weeks you're stuck with Cody. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) I hope he's not watching. (laughs) Don't fire me. No, but seriously, right? Much of this gathering of sheep is just a commitment to faithfulness, to gather and listen to the words of our good and great shepherd. Just keep showing up. The next thing I want you to know is the way in is the way on. You accepted Jesus by surrendering to him. What would make you think following him looks any different than how you entered? A sheep's life is infinitely better when it surrenders to a good shepherd. Did you know that your life and my life, our lives would be better if we just surrendered to the good shepherd more often? Look, I've shared my story with you guys, right? And uh, I've lost my dad to alcoholism. I started drinking at a pretty young age. My dad went to, passed out one night and I was in fifth grade. He had a bottle of, uh, of whiskey. He walked over, he said, he likes it. I'll, I'll, tr- I'll try it as well. He went out, I just drank some. And from fifth grade to December 31st, 2010, I had a pretty rocky junior high and high school career, I guess we would say. And then I was, end up in my decisions leading me to a destination. I um, have alcohol poisoning, three o'clock in the morning, throwing up in a bush. And I felt like God knocking the door of my heart to say, are you done yet? Are you ready? You keep trying to lead yourself by yourself and you keep getting yourself into trouble. I am the good shepherd. I can lead you to green pastures and calmer waters. Will you allow me to lead you? And God changed the direction of my life when I learned this truth. I cannot lead myself by myself. And so here's the truth. I may have won a few of you guys over and you're thinking, okay, Matt, I hear what you're saying, and I want to be led now by the good shepherd, but Matt, I don't know what it looks like to hear his voice and find his voice in my daily life. And the truth is, I think many of us struggle to hear the shepherd's voice in our lives because we aren't doing something he's already told us to do. 
Let me ask you a question. Are you in God's word? I mean, this will make sense, right? Again, I'm not that smart of a guy. If you want a word from God, you should be in the word of God. Are you in community? In the book of Matthew chapter 18, verse 20, it says, where two or three or more are gathered in my name, there I will be with them also. Are you serving? In the book of Proverbs chapter 3, verse 27, it says, do not withhold from good for those in whom it is due if you have it in your power or capacity to do. Are you giving? In the book of Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9, it says, honor God with your wealth. That's the one that mostly gets us most angry, right? When a guy like me holding a Bible like this stands on stage and says something about giving. But really, the reason that Jesus talked more about money than heaven and hell combined is because it really is a deep faith issue. God, I trust you with my eternal life, just not with this life. God, I trust you with all things I can't control, but the things I can, I'm holding on very, very tight. Maybe he isn't talking to you because you didn't listen to him the last time he spoke to you. Whether that be through a pastor, whether that be through a friend, maybe through a devotional, or maybe through his own word. So it makes sense, right? He's not giving you any new information because you didn't follow the last instructions that he gave. Friends, here's what this means. You may be listening to an answer to something that God isn't speaking to because you didn't listen the last time he told you to do something. You're asking maybe, I don't know, you're here, Daniel. God, God, uh, I'm asking about a future marriage, right? But God wants to deal with something inside you that's going to ruin and wreck that marriage. He's trying to draw your attention to something. Or God's like, I'm working on this big project. If you could sprinkle some favor down on it, if you could materialize it, bring it to fruition. And God's like, son, you're the project I'm working on. You're a dumpster fire I'm trying to put out, right? (laughs) Look, there are a lot of important things in life. Who are you going to marry? Career, job, money, college, et cetera, whatever. And the truth is God's going to get to those things. Here's what's crazy though. Last, never first. Those are things we want God to answer first, right? But he gets to those things last, never first. In his upside down kingdom, the most important thing in life is not those things. That's not at all the most important things. He will talk to you about those things. But he's got some other things he wants to talk to you first about. Things like who you are. Whose you are. Who can tell you who you are. In other words, the good shepherd always tells us what we need before he tells us what we want. You know, more often than not in my, in my life and in my prayer time, I hear God telling me more, I hear more of his voice telling me who I am more than what I'm supposed to do. Why? Because if God can get across to me who I am and who he wants me to be, he's never going to have to worry about what I'm going to do. And isn't it the same for us as parents? If we can give a sense of integrity, godlessness, or God, godliness in our kids and integrity, whatever it may be, we don't got to worry about really what they're going to do if they know who they really are. If they are built in the firm foundation, the rock of God's word, They'll be fine. This is why, I'll say it this way. What I do often, 100% of the time, flows out of who I am. This is why in the book of Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, Jesus said this, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Build your identity, developing a longing for what God loves. Make that who you are. On that firm foundation, all these things will be added unto you. The what and how of your life will be determined by the who. So let me make this make sense for us a little bit and give us some tools we can leave with. Three things. Three things I want uh, that I think will help us lead our families and maybe even ourselves back to the good shepherd. And look, these things are really, really simple. I'm not that smart of a guy. I am the dullest bulb in the shed, all right? So not that smart of a guy. There are three things that I think if you actively apply in your life, they will radically transform your relationship with the good shepherd. Number one, it's this. Make prayer a priority in your life. Especially, right? If you're a parent, there could be nothing more powerful than praying scripture over your kids. Why? So from the earliest ages of their development, they'll hear what the good shepherd's voice sounds like over them. And when they realize, when they get a little lost, disconnected from whatever it may be, like we all do, right? They're going to, nope, I don't hear him over there, not over there. I hear him over there. I'm going to wander back over to God's flock. That's what my mom did for me. It changed my life. It's the reason I'm standing here today, to be honest with you. 
It's important that you read the blessings of Scripture of your kids. They can hear what the good shepherd's voice sounds like so that when they get lost, like we do, they'll know where he is. During World War I, I heard a story that some soldiers tried to steal a flock of sheep from a hillside near Jerusalem. And the sleeping shepherd awoke to all of his sheep being, you know, the flock of them being driven off by these soldiers. And he obviously couldn't recapture them by force because he didn't have a military. He didn't have an army or guns. So he called out with just a distinctive call to his flock, and they listened. They returned to the rightful owner, and the soldiers couldn't stop them from the sheep returning to the shepherd's voice because they knew the distinctive call. They knew what he, what he sounded like, which brings us to point two, make church a priority. I have now for a decade heard parents say, well, Johnny can't come to Tuesday night because he has practice. Do you know the statistics that your kid's going to make into the big leagues and buy the house of your dreams? Well, down to you. It's not going to happen. I'll tell you this. 0.0096% chance. They have a 100% chance before standing before the Lord. See, the truth is this next generation needs the last generation. I think intergenerational discipleship is not going to happen anywhere else. And I think that intergenerational discipleship was lost to developing intergenerational wealth. This would serve as well as parents. Be more concerned what you put into your kid than what you leave to your kids. The greatest transfer of wealth you can leave your kids in this next generation is not your finances. Friends, it's your faith. So let me ask you a question. How are you actively transferring that faith? How are you actively transferring that wealth and depositing it into someone else's account? Let me ask this in a more confrontational way. If you want your kids to be rich in faith, whose primary responsibility do you think that is? See, the next generation, or rather the next generation church is going to be birthed by the last generation, this generation, right? How are you personally owning that responsibility? Whose job would we think it is? We make this so clear so it can be so uncomfortable. My prayer is that you would leave this with having a heart serving the next generation. And so I want to make it clear. Just go on our website, email either scgkids at seacoastgrace.org, scgyouth at seacoastgrace.org, scgkids, scgyouth, seacoastgrace.org. Volunteer, get involved in this next generation. Come alongside them. Intergenerational discipleship, that is how God designed the church to be. And that was its purpose. Number three, this is tethered to this, make God a priority in your life. We, we, you're smart. More is caught than it is taught. Your kids will pick up on how you live, not what you say. If God is not a priority to you, he will be even less of a priority to your kids. This is even worse or compounded by the reality. This is the first generation, probably in American history, that has gone through an educational system and has been reinforced by a culture that is hostile to family, God, and traditional values. No wonder that they feel lost, that they have lost their shepherd, and they don't have any pointers in society, culture, now even school to get their way back to them. What they have is you and this church. One of the things I love so much about Doyle and Cody's vision for our church is the whole purpose for the CLC, Community Life Center. The whole purpose for our school is to teach this next generation how to hear the shepherd's voice. In other words, it is to support the family's effort in reminding us that we are sheep who has a good shepherd and this is what his voice sounds like. As we begin to, let's say, land our plane for today, let me give you some, some good news about the shepherd and some incredible insights about the sheep that I find so freeing. And so incredible. Go with me back to John chapter 10, verses 3 and 4. We're going to go back a little bit. It says this. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Verse 4. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them. And the sheep, what? Follow him. They conform their lives around what? For they know his voice. They conform their lives around the shepherd's voice. The book of Romans chapter 12 says, do not conform to the pattern of this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you could, you could attest and approve what God's perfect pleasing and perfect will is. It all begins with knowing his voice. 
The truth is we mimic that which we follow. Something about sheep that you may or may not know is that the sheep's nature, quality, attitude, demeanor, and whole quality of life is wholly determined by the shepherd in which they follow. Holy and 100% determined by the type of shepherd they follow, the good shepherd or an imposter shepherd. And so if you are here today and you identify with a, a plethora of these words, broken, lost, incapable, sad, destroyed, and broken, insecure, desperate, and addicted, depressed, lazy, and broken, could it be because you have been following an imposter shepherd? And it is to you that the good shepherd offers to you today. He says, I can turn that fear into faith. I can turn that emptiness into wholeness. And finally, I can turn that ache of meaninglessness into the blessing of being created on purpose and for a purpose. Let's pray. Father, today I am so thankful that you are a good shepherd. And if my friends here are anything like me, God, we get lost. But scripture reaffirms the reality, God, that you long for the lost. You come running to us. If there's my, anyone here, Lord God, that identifies with what these students have said, lost, broken, addicted, distracted, unwhole, empty, I pray, Father God, that they'd come to you. And God, may you fill their hearts with love so they need not go search for it in the sense of validation in people, place, or performance. But Father, would you fill them? Would you make them whole? And second, I pray that you would give us a burden for this next generation. Understand that it is this generation that will birth the next generation church. So Father, would you empower and equip us, God, to do just that. Father, we love you. We thank you. It's in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. We hope you enjoyed this message. And remember, we also have live services out in our West Auditorium on Saturday evenings and Sunday mornings. Or you can always join us live online at seacoastgrace.org or on our YouTube and Facebook pages to hear these messages in real time.